We are, are currently going through the letters to the churches at the beginning of the book in Revelation. Uh, last week, Grant taught through um, the letter to the church in Pergamum, which is the church that began to blend kind of the cultural beliefs around it with um, their kind of pursuit of Jesus, the beliefs that they had adopted in Jesus. And so Grant walked through ways that we do similar things in our current context and, and really just how we can more authentically follow Christ. Um, last week, or this week, we're going to dig into the fourth letter, which is also the longest letter. Um, it's the letter to the church in Thyatira. Um, that's the that's the pronunciation I'm going with. I don't know if that's actually how I'm supposed to say that, but that's what we're going with. Uh, it's at the end of Revelation 2. So um, yeah, let's just pray and then we can read the word of God and uh, dig into what it has for us there. So, Father, um, God, we just ask you to speak. God, we want you to be here with us today. God, um, we ask that through your scriptures, we would learn more about you, and through your scriptures, we would learn more about what it looks like to follow you and pursue you with everything that we have. God, help us to believe what it is that we're here today. Help us to um, pursue you with an intensity um, like we see in the scriptures, and God, we just ask that you be present here today. God, we love you. We thank you for being a God that has loved us first, and uh, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so um, Revelation 2, it starts in verse 18. We're going to read through verse 29. Um, yeah, it says this. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, the son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze, says, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. Your last works are greater than the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my slaves to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her practices." I will kill her children with the plague. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the deep things of Satan, as they say, I do not put any other burden on you. But hold on to what you have until I come. The one who is victorious and keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he will shepherd them with an iron scepter, and he will scatter them or shatter them like pottery, just as I have received this from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so. Uh, like I said, this is the, the longest letter uh, in the beginning of Revelation. Um, and at first glance, like there's, there's a lot going on here, right? Um, it, it seems pretty harsh. Jesus uses all kinds of really powerful, vivid imagery when he's talking to this church. Um, and I, I really want to note too that he says some nice things about this church too. Um, I think it's important to see that. Like it's not like everything that this church was doing was complete like garbage or trash or something like that. Um, he says, 
hey, I, I know your works, your love, your faithfulness, your service, and your endurance. Your last works are greater than the first. And, and um, so we're seeing that like there, there are aspects of growth in this church. Like they're they are growing because their last works, their most recent works are greater than the first. And, you know, he says that they exhibit these traits that I think any church would be proud to be known by. Love, faithfulness. He says service and endurance. Like, like these are all amazing things. Like if, if Jesus was standing before you and told you, I, I see that you're really loving and faithful, like you would be overjoyed, right, that, that he says that about you. And so it's important to see that like, hey, like he, it's not like everything is awful about this church, but, um, and yet to, to say that Jesus is concerned about this church would also be an understatement, right? He uses all kinds of powerful imagery to, to show us that. Uh, he warns them that they are tolerating practices in their church that they should not. Um, and we're going to talk quite a bit about that part today. And so I'm going to get into that in, in a moment. But um, before we even start to talk about that, I just want to explain who this Jezebel person is, right? It says at the beginning that you, you, like this church tolerates the woman Jezebel, which can seem uh, confusing. Like, who is this person? Um, why is it that Jesus says this? And so um, uh, in short, it's really unlikely that this, there's... Um, a woman actually named Jezebel in this church. Um, there may be a woman that's actually teaching or is very prominent in this church and is, is leading people astray, um, or it just may mean that they are following the teachings of Jezebel. And what that means is in the Old Testament, um, that, like these people would know exactly what he's talking about when he says this, because in the Old Testament, in First and Second Kings specifically, Jezebel was a woman that led Israel astray into all kinds of idolatry and idol worship. So like worshiping false gods, right? And so I don't know whether there's an actual person named Jezebel going into this church or not, um, or even if there's an actual woman that's leading people astray. I suspect that that's true, but probably that Jezebel is more of like a pseudonym for her, um, and that she's just, she represents this person that is like, hey, she's leading this church astray. She's teaching them to, to worship false gods and teaching them that certain practices are okay when they're not. And so Jesus makes it abundantly clear how serious this offense is, right? Not just that she's among them, um, but, but that the church was content with it. They were, they were tolerating it, right? They were even being like led astray by her and, 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 and uh, allowing this, this idol worship to continue. And, and so Jesus gives some really harsh warnings of what will happen to these people if they don't repent, right? If they don't turn from this, like followed by an, an encouragement that like, hey, if you weren't doing this, like, I don't put any other burden on you. Like, keep pursuing me in truth. Keep following me. Like, everything is okay for you if that's what you're doing, right? He even says, like, hey, I'll reward you. I'm going to reward you with uh, authority in the millennial kingdom, which, like, even parts of that, I'm like, I don't really know what that looks like or what that totally means, but it sounds like there's going to be some kind of reward for people that pursue Jesus and endure to the end in that way. Um, he even says, I'll reward you with the morning star, which later in Revelation we find out is Jesus himself. And so I think that's just speaking to the fact that like, if we know Jesus, if we have a relationship with Jesus now, like, yes, we have Jesus now, and yet in eternity we'll have him in his fullness in a way that's a little different, right? And so um, he's kind of just talking about that, I think, there. And so in this passage, Jezebel leads this church astray in idolatry and in sexual immorality. And idolatry, again, that's just, think, worshiping of other gods. Now, that, that may be that 
Uh, they worshiped other gods like alongside Jesus, right? Like that Jesus is a God among all kinds of gods, which, you know, not great there either. Or uh, it may mean that they don't believe that Jesus is God and that they believe these other gods instead. But in any case, like there's this kind of idol worship that's going on there. Um, and, and it often goes hand in hand with sexual immorality because for many of these pagan religions, uh, a way that they would worship their false gods is by being sexually immoral, right? By like sleeping with prostitutes in these temples and things like that. And so often these things go hand in hand. Um, and, and so, it, you know, it's not just that these people are like really struggling with sexual sin or something like that, um, but that they're actively engaging with it, right? And they're unrepentant. So, so notice that Jesus says, hey, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. And, and this is kind of in stark contrast to what we see in the Bible about believers that truly have a relationship with Jesus. Like they are grieved by their sin. They want to turn from their sin. They want to repent and, and do something else instead of that. Right? This repentance produces change in their life. And so Jesus is upset, not just that this person is leading people astray, but that this church is tolerating all of this. They're allowing it to happen. And so to me, when I see that, that, that means that like, either they just aren't discerning that something is wrong with what she's teaching, or they are and are content with allowing sin to remain in their church. And so Jesus is, is, is upset about this. And so I think it's important to ask the question, like, why is this such a problem? Like, why is Jesus using such strong language for this church? Um, and the, the interesting thing about reading this section of Scripture, although it looks really, like, harsh and punishing, and I think that that's, that's present there, um, I think that what we're going to see as we dig into this today is that I see a God that cares deeply about his people. He cares so much about his people. And I'm going to explain why that is later, but, but it begins with the fact that Jesus wants a deep relationship with us, right? He wants to know us deeply. He wants to walk with us. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to be with us. And because he's God, he knows the things that prevent us from this. He knows the, thing that, the things that hinder us from our relationship with him. And one of those things is sin, right? Sin, like by its very nature, by the nature of what it is, it drives a wedge between us and God. Um, and, and that's, I think, actually kind of a complicated thing to talk about because if we're believers, like we're saved from our sin, right? Like if we confess Jesus as Lord and believe that he saved us from our sin, like we are forgiven of all of the sin that we've committed, past, present, and future. Uh, and yet, when we sin, it, it, it grieves the spirit of God inside of us. Right? And I think it has an effect on us that makes us run from God in fear instead of approach him in his grace and in his mercy, it affects us. And when we engage with sin, especially sexual sin, it has a negative effect on our relationship with God. Like Paul talks about how sexual sin especially has a different effect on us. He says that like uh, all other sin is outside of the body, but sexual sin is, is in the body, right? It, it affects us. Uh, we're sinning against our own bodies. And I suspect that that's why it has such a unique effect on us, right? It's, uh, it, it's, affects us in a way that other sin does not. And so, you know, if you've read the Bible before and maybe read uh, these parts of Scripture where there, there are like lists where Paul's like, hey, you need to, to stray from all of these things. You need to run from this, 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 and this. And if you do 
all these things, you might, be, you, you might not enter the kingdom of heaven, right? And so he's saying like, hey, run from this stuff. And at the top of most of those lists is sexual sin. And included in all of those lists is sexual sin, right? Like it's something that is, is so important that we actually address and deal with. It affects us in the depths of our souls. It's not just sexual sin. Any sin, I think, has an effect on our relationship with, with Jesus because we're engaging with the very thing that he came to save us from. Okay? And if nothing else, when we like willfully engage in sin, we're not walking in unity with the Spirit of God. It causes a lack of intimacy and closeness with God in our lives. And, and God loves us so much and wants to be close with us. And when, we, when he sees that, it, it grieves him. The other thing that Jesus calls out in this passage is idolatry, and that's the worship of any other gods. Now, the interesting thing about that is it's easy to look at this and think like, I mean, we're not, we, we haven't set up any statues in church. We're not worshiping, you know, something that's not Christ or anything like that. Like during their time, right, like people would set up these actual idols, statues of the gods that they would worship, and they would worship them. That's kind of what idolatry means, right? But in our time, it looks a little bit different. Right? When, we, uh, when something else is God over our lives during our day and age, it looks a little bit different. Right? I think s- Satan has gotten a little more sneaky and kind of insidious about a lot of this. There are plenty of things that we can run to in place of God that we would never say that that's our God, but we treat it like it is. Okay? And so some examples of that, like a, a false God or idol that many people run to is romantic relationships. If I just had this relationship, that would make me happy. I want to seek after that, right? Oh, there's like a cute girl, even if she uh, goes to our church and loves Jesus, but your real pursuit is like, I think that being in a relationship is going to make me fulfilled, right? And so it's like this this thing of like, you can pursue that as God. Uh, Another idol for a lot of people is achievement. I'll I'll finally be happy when I have graduated with a 4.0, right? Or, or when, I, when I start this business and it's successful, or uh, even if I just get my dream job and make six figures, like all these things are like achievements that's like inside of us. Some of us seek that in a way that makes it king over our lives. They become God to you or the idol of sensuality and gratification. Do what feels good. Right? And when you hear that, a, a lot of people think, you know, like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, like, right? Like the, the classics, like these things that people, you know, I'm going to go out and party on the weekends. This is going to, you know, make me fulfilled. And for some of you, that's the case. Like maybe you seek gratification as your God. But for others of you, you seek it in a different way that's maybe more subtle. Maybe it's about like the next adventure that you can go on, right? Like, oh, I'm going to go and, and, and explore the world. And if I go and seek this thing, maybe then I'll be happy. And if I, maybe if I go to this place and then that place, and it's like, it's all about like the next trip or, or something like that. Like there are tons of ways you can seek gratification that are not overtly sin. Okay. And there's all kinds of different idols that we can seek, all kinds of things that we can, we can seek in the place of God. And it's idolatry. It's making something out to be king of your life that was never meant to be king. You're serving a different God when you're living like that. You're a slave to a different kind of God, not a slave to Jesus. And the interesting thing to me about idolatry that's so fascinating and often, is this. Oftentimes in Scripture, idolatry goes hand in hand with adultery. And even sometimes idolatry is described as adultery. 
Did I say that right? Idolatry is described as adultery. And so uh, why do you think that is? Like, think about that for a second. Why might idolatry be described in a similar way as adultery in the scriptures? Like, if you've confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior and then start worshiping another God, like, it's a lot like you're cheating on him. Right? You have this deep covenant relationship with the God of the universe. And you've said, he's invited you into this, right? You've said yes to it. And saying yes to Jesus is a very strong and deep commitment. It's like a marriage commitment. Like Jesus even calls us his bride in the Bible. And so when we, when we go and we live like other things are God to us, like other things are our king, our Lord, we're in a sense committing adultery against the God that we love. One of the things um, that I've been really dwelling on this week, <clears throat> and I promise this is related, um, is something that Jesus said when he was praying for his disciples. Um, he prays that they would be one. And uh, we're, we're going to read through this passage in a second in John 17. This is this long prayer that Jesus uh, prays, and this is like right before Judas betrays him. Um, and, and he prays that his disciples would be one. And that's talking both about like unity with each other, right? Like, like that we would be of one mind and we'd be pursuing Jesus together in unison. But I think it's also talking about a kind of unity with Christ. And, and I just want to read a couple of things from Jesus' prayer in John 17. Um, this is just a short snapshot of this entire prayer, right? Jesus prays first for himself, and then he prays for his 12 disciples, and then right here is the beginning of his prayer for all believers everywhere, right? And so um, he says at the beginning, I pray not only for these, talking about his 12 disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their message. And so I'm gonna read through this really slowly, but I want you to actually dwell on what's being said here because I think it's really, really profound and it's a mystery that's really difficult to encapsulate. And so um, this is what it says. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I want you to just think on that for a second. Like dwell on what's actually being said there. Like Jesus says that if we are his, he is in us. and prays that we'd be made completely one. And again, I know this is talking in part about unity between us, between people who love Jesus, but, it, but I think it's much deeper than that. Think about how crazy it is that Jesus wants to be one with us. The other place that we see this image frequently is when two people are married. Uh, the Bible says that something unique happens in marriage, and the two become one flesh. And God wants a, a, 
a close relationship with us like that, like, like that we would be one with him. And honestly, I'm saying this, and I know for some of you in this room, this is going to make you really uncomfortable. <laughs> like this makes me uncomfortable thinking about. It. I've been dwelling on this all week, and it's like, I, I don't think that this is how we think about our relationship with Jesus, most of us. God, the God of the universe wants to be one with me. Think about that. He wants to be that close to me. And I, I see that and I'm like, I feel vulnerable, uh, honestly kind of afraid. Like I know at least a little bit about like the wickedness that's in my heart and, and God knows much more about that than, than I do, right? And that God wants to be one with me. And he wants to be one with you. And I, I think the thing is, is some of us, we talk about God in this way. We'll say, God wants to have a relationship with you. And that's true. That's not untrue. But I think it fails to, to, to see the weight of what's really going on there, right? That we think of relationship, we think like buddy, like friend, right? And that's, that's in part true. But Jesus says here that he wants to be one with us. Like, doesn't that sound a little bit different? Doesn't that sound a little bit different than what you're used to hearing about what God wants to, from you and wants with you? God wants to be that close to you. The eternal God of the universe wants to be one with you. And there's no real way for me to unpack that. Like that's, that's one of those profound mysteries that's like, I don't know if that's explainable. Like I don't know if I can stand up here and, and unpack that in a way that makes you think, oh, I completely understand this perfectly now. But, but just think about the fact that God wants to be that close to you. And then think about the reality that like, is it any wonder that the things that separate us from God would deeply grieve him then? Like, should that surprise us? I mean, when we read this passage here, should it surprise us that when someone's leading his children astray, away from him, that that would be really upsetting to him? Should it surprise us that he wants that to change? And if it doesn't change, he wants to intervene. I mean, he tells this church that if Jezebel and her followers do not repent, he's going to send judgment. He goes as far as to say that he would uh, kill the, her children with the plague if that's what it takes to wake her up. This is a serious offense. Leading God's children away from oneness with himself is an offense that he does not stand for. He, he warns them and tells them to change and warns them that if they don't, I'm going to have to intervene and you're not going to like it. I love my children too much. I want to spend eternity with them, and that's not going to happen if you're leading them to worship false gods. I won't stand for it. And I hope that you see in that why I see so much, as, so much of God's like loving, fatherly character in this passage. Right? He cares so much about his children that he's like, ah, I need to make sure that they're with me, that they're one with me. He loves his people so much. He loves you so much that he wants sin to be removed from your midst and idolatry to be removed from your midst so that you would be close with him. And so a lot of this is really heady and sometimes I'm like, okay, I just said a bunch of stuff. I don't really know where to go from here. Like, I'm such a practical person. I want to know, like, what do I do with this information, right? Like, lots, lots of stuff going on here. And so... Um, 
Really just, I want to go through a few things, like practical things of like, what do we do with what we just read, with what we just talked about? Um, The first thing is is this, identify idols in our lives and run from them. So like, I don't know what takes the place of God in your life. Like, like that's, that's for you to, to kind of figure out. But I know for me that I feel like I have to constantly take a look at my life and ask myself, what is it that competes with God? Right? If someone took a, a zoomed out uh, snapshot of my life and, and was looking at my life, what would they think is competing for God in my life? Like, what would they think takes the place of God in my life? And to identify that, like, where does my time go? Where does my money go? What's my thought life like, right? How much, how much of, uh, even just my thoughts do I devote to God or versus other things? What is it that I really worship? It's important to identify these things and to uproot them, to, to, to try and replace that with the truth about Jesus and, and to pursue him with your whole heart instead. The second thing is this, remove sin and anything that hinders us from Christ. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. And so he says, like, lay aside every weight and the sin. And so there are things that are sin that are overtly like, hey, this is bad. Don't do this. This is going to hinder your relationship with God. But then there are other things like weights that may not be overtly sin, but still keep you from God. Identify those things right? Identify those things and and remove them from your life. What are the things that keep you from God? What are the things that keep you from oneness with Jesus? Um, And the last thing is this, uh, to remind ourselves of the truth, which which I think that's kind of woven in those other two. But um, our world is, is keeping us so distracted, I think, from Jesus. Um, and living in a way that's, I think it's so easy to live in a way that's oriented towards our culture and we just kind of add Jesus in instead of pursuing Jesus with our whole heart like we see in the scriptures. And so um, to, to, to be constantly just dwelling on the scriptures and, and, and reminding ourselves of what is true in there and what it says about God and to orient our lives in a way that makes sense as a result of that. And so an example of this is uh, Thursday night at Life Group, um, we were uh, going through the part where we, we pray together, right, in groups. And I, I sat down to pray, and I was just like, I, it is actually insane that we get to talk to the God of the universe. And that may not, like, strike you right now, but for whatever reason on, on Thursday, it struck me. And, and I was just sitting there, and I found myself kind of going through the motions, and it felt more like when I was praying, I was, like, reciting a prayer instead of, like, talking to the almighty God, right? And there's like a difference there, obviously. And so I I began to think to myself, like, what would my prayer life look like if I actually believed that I'm in the presence of the almighty God of the universe, right? That, that, That in prayer, I'm approaching his throne. Like, what would be different about what I'm doing right now? Like, even just closing my eyes and trying to picture God as best I can, right? And, and wondering, like, what would I be doing right now if that was the case? Like, how would my posture change? How would my words change? And immediately, those are the things that change. It's like, dude, like, this, something's got to be different about this other than just reciting a prayer, okay? And so, 
that's an example, but like similarly, we have to be constantly reminding ourselves of like what's true about Jesus, the one true God, and what should our lives look like if that's true? Like how would our actions be different? We're, we're, we're people that are prone to, to wandering and living like culture around us and just kind of sprinkling Jesus in instead of pursuing him with our whole heart. And so I, I want us to be a people that are saturated in truth, the truth of the scripture, and let, that that would be a, a way that we easily identify the ways that we're not pursuing Jesus like the way that we see in the Bible. And so, um, guys, I, God loves us so much more than we can imagine, and he wants to be, be close to you. He wants to be one with you. I know that's going to make you uncomfortable. I hope that's something you think about this week as a result. Um, yeah, let's, let's pray together and let's spend some time singing to him in worship and even just think about like what would that be like if you were singing to God, right? Versus singing like about him. I don't know. Let's pray. Um, Father, <laughs> God, I just pray that we'd believe the things that your scriptures say about you. That we'd be a people that seek after you with intensity. God, that we'd know you truthfully and, and who you are um, with truth, not, not just something that we've made up in our minds about who you are, but what we see in the Bible to be true. God, I pray that we'd believe that. God, thank you for being a God that's so patient with us when we're astray or when we're doing things our own way. God, thank you for loving us, for desiring to be one with us, even though we don't always understand what that means. But Lord, it just shows how much you care about us and how much you desire to be with us. Lord, I pray that we'd believe that and we'd respond accordingly. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.